Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, Southbridge. It is awesome to be together today. If you're a guest with us today, I just want to ask you if you take a moment, fill out your connection card and take out the orange tent. You're going to hear more about that at the end of the service. But if you could do that for us this morning, that'd be great. We're going to take a little break from the book of Hosea we've been studying together. I believe the Lord's just what he's doing. It's appropriate for us to take a break. If you came here, uh, maybe you are just in town and you go, oh, somebody's doing Hosea. I'm coming. I'm so sorry. Uh, you can see him online. We're going to jump back in next week. But today we're going to be in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16. So if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to pray for us as we open up God's Word together. Acts chapter 16. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can gather in your name. Thank you for your people. Thank you for uh, the fellowship that's already happened this morning, for the worship that's taken place of exalting your name. I thank you for churches all around the globe that are worshiping you, worshiping you today, whether it's uh, in Syria or Australia or New York or Los Angeles or here. Uh, God, thank you for our brothers and sisters that we're united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the same spirit and the same baptism, the same Lord. And God, I pray that we'd all have maximum impact for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. So while you get that on your app or in your Bible, I just want to ask you a, a quick question. How many of you in here have ever been lost before? Your reluctant hands came up and then some other ones popped right up. How many? I'm going to take it to another level. How many of you have been so lost before you've had to stop and ask for directions? We've ever actually, some, I'm proud of you, some of you, some of your wives raised your hand and the guys are just smiling, like they won't even raise their hand in this deal. But I, I was thinking about that this week and I remember the time when my wife and I, before smartphones, so those of you born in the 90s can be like, what did you do, like ride a dinosaur to work? Like, how old are you, man? Uh, yeah, we existed before cell phones, uh, before the, uh, not, well, that, I don't know, whatever, before smartphones. And uh, my wife and I, one time, we were going down, we were college age and we were going from the college that we were going to attend up to where we were from in Michigan. So we went to this college in Ohio, and we lived in Michigan, and we got talking to one another, and we didn't have the navigation system in the car. We didn't have the stuff on our phone. And the next thing we know, we saw a sign that said, Welcome to Indiana. Let me tell you a little something, those of you who aren't familiar with your U.S. geography. We were in Ohio. We were going to Michigan. You don't need to go through Indiana to do that. (laughs) Indiana is not between Ohio and Michigan. We ended up in the wrong state. We didn't know what we were doing. And I was thinking about that, and I was remembering before, like, even, you know, navigation and Siri and, like, all these different apps. Do you remember MapQuest, where you actually had to print out all the directions and see them ahead of time? We didn't even have that going for us. We just missed the turn, ended up in the wrong state. And then I was, I was thinking about it in light of our relationship with God. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you've probably asked God for directions in some, in some area of life, with who to marry, where to go to college, what, to, what job you're supposed to take. If you've trusted, some of you trusted Christ at our Easter service, who should be my mentor should be a question you're asking yourselves. And, and you're asking thoughts and questions about what should we do with kids and how, sh- how many kids should we have and well, all these different questions you have where you're seeking God's guidance and directions. Let me ask you this question. What if God told you all of his plan for your life today? Every minute, From now until the day that you pass into eternity, you knew every conversation you were supposed to have, everywhere you're supposed to go, all of the stuff that was going to happen in your life. If God showed you the whole plan, the entire plan, from now until the day you die, would you do it? And some of you are like, well, yeah, if God would just tell me, that's the the problem. I wish he'd just show me and tell me. Others of you are probably like, depends on the plan. (laughs) Might want to negotiate the terms here. 
if he did show you the whole plan, what would it do to your faith? What would happen to the mystery? What would happen to your need to depend upon him? Because you, you think about how this actually works, and think about all the people that followed Jesus. When Jesus called Peter and, hey, drop, you're going to be fishers of men. Drop your nets. Come follow me. They knew the big picture of what was going to happen, but they didn't know what that was going to look like the next day. They didn't know what would happen to their family. They didn't know what all of that entailed every moment after that point. And, and so you think about Matthew. He's at the tax collector's booth, and he gets called to follow Jesus, and he knows he's not going back to that job, but he doesn't know what any of the rest of it means. It requires continual dependence upon him. And so what areas of your life are, are you needing direction today? And if you have your Bibles, that's what we're going to talk about in Acts chapter 16. And uh, I believe the Lord's doing some special things in our midst, in our city, in our church. And so we're going to take a break from Hosea, jump into Acts just today. We'll be back in Hosea, Lord willing, next week. But today we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Acts since we haven't been in it together for a while is that Acts is the story of the church and how the church starts. And let me tell you something about the church. The church is a movement of God. It was never meant to be a monument to God. A lot of times we treat the church like it's a monument, like we just go there and we remember a bunch of stuff that happened a long time ago, and that's great. Thankful that that all happened. Now I'm going to go about my life. Now here's the reality. The church was never meant to be a monument. It was meant to be a movement. And the movement starts. Jesus Christ dies, raises from the dead, then tells his followers, there's still work to do. And what happens is the church gets started. Acts chapter 2, the church begins. And we get a picture of what the church should look like. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, a lot of times we'll go there. It's where a lot of our vision for what we want to look like as a church comes from. And let me simplify it for you. People were taking off their masks when they were being real. It was a place for people to come, and it was okay to not be okay. Now, we've been going through this series in Hosea. Let me share something with you. I've gotten a lot of emails from different people in our church, and so some of you may be the ones who are like, you're not supposed to share my email. No, lots of people have shared with me their Gomer and Hosea story, just so you know. But you know what? A lot of times it's not okay to talk about that kind of stuff at church because at church you're supposed to have it all buttoned up and look good and everything's going great. Who said that was what church is supposed to be like? That's not what we see in the Bible because here's the reality. It's a bunch of imperfect people coming together in their imperfections. You know what the world thinks about the church? Is that we're hypocrites because we all pretend like we have it all together. The church is supposed to be a place where we come together, we live in authentic relationships with one another. We carry one another's burdens. We love one another. We confess sin to one another. We sharpen one another. We grow together as a body. And you have to be okay with not being okay in order for that to take place. And that's, that's what you see in Acts chapter 2. That's what the church is supposed to be like. That's what we want to be like as a church, just so you know. That's why we have our small groups. That's why we're trying to get people in relationships and intimate relationships where you're talking about your grounded in biblical truth. But you all know, everybody knows that everybody's, is anybody here perfect? Could you raise your hand? I'd like to meet you. Your name is Jesus. None of us are perfect. And so what do we do? And you go to Acts chapter 2 and you see that people were, they were sacrificing their needs, not just their wants, their needs so that other people's needs could be met. They were caring for one another. You know what they were doing? They were living out Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and they would glorify your Father who's in heaven. Not you. They wouldn't look at you and go, man, you're awesome. They'd go, that's otherworldly what's happening in your life. How do they do that? Well, you, it's living out Acts chapter 2. And what are they doing there? Well, they're living out John 13 verse 35. You see how the Bible weaves together? John chapter 13 verse 35, you know what it says? By this all men will know that you're my disciples by the way that you preach. Oh, that's not what it says? Well, sometimes we act like that's the key. Well, let's get them in here to come and hear the preacher. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you vote. No, that's not it. By the moral life that you live. Because you're the moral majority. 
by the way that you love, but not just love them. It's the way you love one another. They'd be drawn to this community. God would add to your number daily. Those who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what the church is supposed to be, a place where lives are being changed. We say it all the time in our church, connecting people to Jesus for life change. That means two things, just so you know. Salvation, people placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and sanctification. Do you know what that is? That's every day after they place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And that's messy. That's what the church is supposed to be. And God gives them big picture what the plan is for the church. Acts 1a, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But you know what the problem is? They don't obey. That's the story of Acts. You know what happens? They get comfortable. They like each other. They stay in Jerusalem. So in Acts chapter 8, God sends persecution and scatters them. So they'll go to, and you read the rest of Acts, Judea, Samaria. And at that point in time, what they believe, the uttermost parts of the world on the way to Rome. Do you know what's really interesting about Acts? It doesn't end. The end of the book is not the ending of the book. It's crazy how the book ends. It doesn't end. You know why? Because God's still working, and because you and I are supposed to be the movement. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the middle of this book, Acts chapter 16. What's happened is that persecution's already come. There's a guy named Paul. He becomes one of the apostles, writes many books in the New Testament, and he gets radically transformed by Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9. He goes and he starts planting churches. In Acts chapter 15, they've got this debate amongst all these religious leaders about what is it in addition to Jesus that we need to have in order for people to experience salvation. And they come to this conclusion, nothing. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Those of you who know Jesus, that should be a big amen because we bring nothing to the table. And so they, they come up to this decision. In Acts chapter 16, what happens is that Paul, he's got a buddy who's really supported his ministry, who's been a blessing to him, who's given him credibility before the people he's come to preach to because they thought he was coming to kill them, part of his story. His name's Barnabas. But then they have a split with one another. There's a fight. So even godly people have this. But then God uses it and redeems it. And so Paul goes out on this mission journey. It's called his second missionary journey. And he starts a new team. It's with a guy named Silas and Timothy and eventually a guy named Luke who writes the book of Acts. And we come to it in Acts chapter 16. They're seeking God's directions. Look at it. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So God said no to them. In verse 7, and they had come up to Mysia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. God said no again. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, oh, it changes, so Luke's here now in verse 10, we, it was they before, now it's we, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so here you've got these three guys, Paul, Timothy, Silas, they're seeking God's direction, God says no. They keep seeking God's direction. God says no. Then God shows them what to do. Now here's what the great, the great comfort I take from this passage is this. Paul was an apostle, and it still wasn't even clear to him. So let me ask you all a question. You can raise hands again if you want. We'll be a little bit transparent with one another behind, beyond just driving directions today. How many of you here have ever prayed, read the Bible, gone to godly counsel, and still didn't know what God wants you to do next? Anybody else? Am I? Good. I'm glad I'm not alone. Thank you for walking down the aisle with a hand. I'm proud of that. Love it. You're not alone. Even the apostles experienced that. Do you know why? Because God says no. And we talked about last week when we were in Hosea that sometimes God tells us no because we're going after our idols. He doesn't give us what we want because what we want is not Him. But they weren't going after an idol here. 
So remember last week, that was sometimes. That's why he says no. There are other reasons. Here they're, they're trying to fulfill the Great Commission. They don't know the details of the plan, what happens day to day. It hasn't been written all out like MapQuest or even on your, your, your apps. You can scroll through and see it. But they know you're supposed to be witnesses. That's what they're trying to do. Look at verse 6. Why do they go? They're trying to go to preach the gospel. And God still said no. Here's what we see. They keep going after that. Do you know why? Because even when God says no, he's still leading. That's our first point today. Even when God says no, he is still leading. That should be great encouragement to all of you who just raised your hand, by the way. Because oftentimes what will happen is we'll step out to do something and, he'll get, and we'll think that we're following. We're, we're trying to accomplish this. It's not, a, it's not even going after an idol. And he says, no, that's not the, what I want you to do. That's not the route I want you to go. But he's still leading. And we see his no's all throughout the Bible, by the way. And sometimes they're clear no's, things you don't have to pray about. You know, your neighbor starts driving you nuts, and you're like, I'm going to kill him. Nope, that's in the top ten. You don't even have to pray about that one. That's not God's will for your life. That's not what you're supposed to do. Or you're in a tense marriage. You're thinking, maybe I made a mistake getting involved in this. I'm going to go out and find another. That's, no, it's actually clearly already. You don't have to pray about that. But if I pray and I feel good, no, it's already written in the Bible. You don't need to pray. I don't know what you're feeling, but that ain't it. There's some clear no's in the Bible. Thou shall not. So would be a great place to start with that. But anytime God forbids something clearly stated in the Bible, you don't have to pray about it. He's already told you his no. But sometimes our no isn't because of sin. Sometimes it's because of sin. You think of sin like Abraham. God's got a plan for Abraham. Abraham's going to help God out with it. Remember, and he gets Hagar. And then they have Ishmael. You know what God says? No. Jesus isn't coming through the line of Ishmael. He's coming through the line of Isaac. No. Peter pulls out his sword when Jesus is getting arrested, cuts a guy's ear off. Jesus is like, no, that is not how we're doing this. Whack, fixes the guy's ear. But it even happens to Jesus. Jesus gets told no. And so we know it's not because of his sin. Remember this prayer? Father, take this cup from me. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. No. The Father's going to pour out his wrath on Jesus Christ so that you can say yes. He, said, he gives even Jesus. If there's any other way. There is no other way, Jesus. It's a no, but God's still leading. And so here you got these guys in this passage of Scripture, and look, they get two no's. Verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to speak the word in Asia? And when they had come to Mysia, so they got the first no, verse 6, and then verse 7, there's another one. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now here in this passage of Scripture, Matt, you're here in the both services. I didn't even say that the first service. You got the whole Trinity at work. You got the Holy Spirit in verse 6. You got Jesus in verse 7. You've got God the Father in verse 10. God's at work in all of these things, even in the nose. He's still leading here. But what does it mean that the Spirit forbid them and that the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to go? What does that mean? Well, here's the reality we don't know. It can mean a lot of different things. The reason why we can say we don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us. You can go read a bunch of really smart guys that talk about the Bible, and they'll make up all kinds of reasons. That doesn't mean they're the reason, but I was reading this past, about this passage this week, and I jotted down some of the reasons really smart guys gave, and so I'll read them to you. Here they are. It was maybe a removal of peace. Some of them maybe had the gift of discernment, and there was like a check in their spirit. Some of you have experienced that before. Like, there's not, this isn't sinful, but it just doesn't feel right. This isn't the right thing. Some say good sense. Maybe it didn't, didn't make sense to do this. A word of prophecy. They had Silas with them. If Silas was there prophesying what we're not supposed to do, I, if he was my buddy, I'd be like, can you just tell us what we are supposed to do so we can stop all this? But it's my impatience. A vision. 
Maybe there was a prophetic vision that said this isn't the place to go. That's what they got in verse 10 for where they are supposed to go, so maybe that's all they got to know. Community, just talking with one another, some phenomenon that we couldn't even guess that God did. Maybe it was just travel logistics. They couldn't get the plane. No, they didn't have a plane, but some travel logistics, uh, difficult circumstances, illness. I think that's a good possibility because we see Luke later, and those of you who don't know Luke, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He writes the book of Acts. He's a physician. And so we see him join in verse 10. Maybe that's why, but the reality is we don't know, but we do know that it was a no. And it wasn't because they were doing something wrong. In fact, if you go back up and you read verse 6 and you see the route that they were headed to, they're headed on a path ultimately that leads to Ephesus. Have you read the New Testament? There's a book in the Bible called Ephesians. That's because a church got started. You know what happens? They eventually go there. What they're doing is a good thing. It's the wrong time. Have you ever tried to do the right thing at the wrong time? Maybe even just saying something to somebody, uh, happy birthday, but it's not your birthday. Well, it's nice to say happy birthday to people. If you say it when it's not their birthday, it feels like you don't know me. You don't even check Facebook. Man, everybody just don't. Come on. Or, so when are you due? I've done this one. It's a bad idea. A good line, just put this in your hat right now, a good line if when they say, do for what, which is what got said to me, your library books. When are they due? When are they due? I didn't think of that in that moment. It's very kind to say to someone who's pregnant, when are you due? It's not kind to say it to anyone else ever, just so you know. Right thing, wrong time, still the wrong thing. And that's where Paul was at. Right thing, wrong time. But here's what I love about what happens in this passage. They don't stop because God's still leading. And so they try to go to one spot. It doesn't work. But notice they don't try to keep going to the same spot. That's what we were talking about last week with our idols. God says no, and we keep going after the same thing. That's idolatry. But what they do here is God says no, but just because God says stop on something like that doesn't mean you stop following him. Just because God stops you doesn't mean you stop following him. He's still leading us. It's just down a different road. And so here you've got these guys, they try to go to Asia. No, okay, well, they don't keep trying to go to Asia. Verse 7, they, they come to Mysia. They attempt to go to Bithynia, but then God said no to that. And then they still keep going. But here's what also we see. Not only do they not stop, so don't stop. You're following God and God says no, don't stop following God. The other thing we see is this, it's not always clear following God. Some of you may have seen the Boston Marathon was run this week. I don't know how many of you saw that, how many runners we have or just sports enthusiasts that we have. And the, it, the weather was terrible up there this week. So it was pouring down rain and it just, uh, I'm, I just I'm trying to imagine what a mess it was. I was watching the highlights on TV this week and I saw this one guy running and we brought a picture for you here. And the guy on, my, on your right, on my right here, is visually impaired. He cannot see. The guy on the left, that's why it says guide on his shirt there. And I try to imagine what it was like just to run in those torrential rains, 26.2 miles. Why the point two? Just to make it harder, why the point two? <laughs> and then to try and imagine what that was like not being able to see every step, potholes, uphill, downhill, around corners, in a crowd of a bunch of people. Imagine what that was like. And then they've got this band between them. I don't know if you can see it or not. The guide would use to guide the runner there. And I think about how many times was it the guy wanted, he knew the plan, he knew it was the big plan, he knows it's 26.2 miles, he knew all that, but how many steps are there going to be along the path? How many times did he want to go a direction and the guide had to tug him? And here's what you end up 
realizing here with this passage of Scripture, every no that God puts in our lives is to get us to his yes. And so here's this guy running through this race. How many times did he think maybe he felt the crowd going one way and he started to go, and then the guy's like, nope, nope. Not, not discipline, not rebuke, just I got to get you on a different path. You're going the wrong way. You're not going the route I want you to go. I know the goal. We know that. But you got a guide who can see the whole plan. It's God. And so we walk with him, and then he tells us no. But you know why? Ultimately, to get us to his yes. And some of you have experienced that before in your careers, in relationships with other people, in, in different spots with the kids, all kinds of th- decisions, all those decisions that you go to the Lord and you're asking for his guidance and you want to know what it is he wants you to do and he gives you a no. And then you can look back on it oftentimes years later and realize, oh, he was giving me that no because he wanted to get me to his yes. And it might have been frustrating. That Imagine how frustrating it was. We're trying to preach your word. Don't you want it to go to Ephesus? Oh, he does, but not right now. Don't, don't you want us to? You said Jerusalem, Judea, and every time we go to go somewhere, you're saying no. And he uses his no to get us to his yes. We've experienced this corporately as a church. Uh, some of you have been here since back when we were meeting at the movie theater. And if you remember that, we, we maxed out the movie theater about five or six, seven years before we actually left the movie theater. And what ended up happening was uh, we had an amazing Easter service one, one year. And afterwards, the manager came up to me and said, hey, we're putting in reclining chairs. And some of you are sitting in these chairs and you're like, man, I wish we had the reclining chairs. Let me tell you something. The only thing worse than... than trying to preach the gospel and all that kind of, people on Lazy Boys, for real? Like, for real. I remember the first time we were sitting in the Lazy Boys, I said, all right, put the chairs, put the legs up, then put them back down, and people were 50% in. They put them up, they didn't put them back down. But what it did is it, it reduced our seating, and so it was, God showing us, this isn't the place for you anymore. And he brought us to this place. How many of you here are here new to this church since we've been at the school? Some of you here because we're at this school. That's God's no there to bring us to his yes, to get us here. And remember about that same time, uh, a few weeks after we found out about the movie theater, the North Carolina Department of Transportation called us and told us that they were buying our property on Glenwood Avenue that we owned. Some of you might remember that. We had purchased a piece of property. We felt like that was God's yes, that he led us there. And uh, we went there. We bought the property. The guy who sold it to us wanted a church to be there, gave us a good price on it. We paid $1.46 million for the property. And every time we tried to do anything on that property, nope, nope, nope. We finally felt like we were at the starting line. North Carolina Department of Transportation calls us up, says we're purchasing the property. What I haven't told many of you is that a few weeks before that, about a month before that, our elders had actually received an offer on the property, and we were, we were split on whether or not to sell it or not. It was, it was a good offer. Um, all those details were, were nice, but then it was like, well, the people gave towards this, and we prayed towards this, and we thought this was the yes, and we're about to break ground on this, and and the way that our elder team works, just so that you know, we've got six guys that are on the elder team, and we do everything we call by consensus. And that means that we never vote things, you know, five to one or four to two, and it's not just stuck because it's three to three kind of deal. We believe everything. We have one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and so if he's going to lead us, he's going to lead it where he brings unanimity between our hearts. And so we weren't there. And so, and I was one of the guys just revealing the confidential thing. I was one of the guys that wasn't getting it. I was like, I don't know. And the North Carolina Department of Transportation called, it made it a little bit more clear that it was a no. And when they said, we're going to buy your property, I even asked the question. I said, well, can we fight this? They said, well, you can, but we're the state of North Carolina. You will lose. <laughs> so I am not that dumb. I was like, okay, I guess we're selling the property. But let me tell you something. I wasn't real encouraged in that moment. 
And then a year later, many of you were here for this, a year later in 2017, they called us up. And said, that property that we bought for $1.46 million, they were going to buy from us for $3.55 million. I was a little bit more excited that day. <laughs> Just so you know. But God is using those no's to get us to his yes. But here's the reality. When God says no, he's still leading. When he gets you to a yes, you got to step out by faith. When God finally does say yes, he's saying go, then you must step out by faith. Our first point, when God says no, he's still leading. Our second point is this, when God says go, you must step out by faith. And you think about Peter at the edge of the boat. I don't know what's going to happen. It requires faith. Think about the disciples, drop the nets. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what this means for their family. They don't know what this means for their career. Matthew, the tax collector, he knows he's not going back to that career, but he doesn't know what's going to happen after this. Paul, when he goes out to preach, he doesn't know. And here they are. God said, no, nope, you're not going to Asia. Nope, you're not going to Bithynia. And then verse 8, look at verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now here's the, here's the thing that's kind of a struggle when you read the Bible. The way this reads sometimes is like this. They went, verse 6, at 8 o'clock in the morning. Nope. Verse 7, probably about 9 o'clock in the morning. Got their second no. By noon, they knew God's plan for their life. That's not how it usually works, is it? How long do you think verse 8 took? We don't know. We know that this missionary journey took about three years. 18 months of it was spent in Corinth. So we got 18 months to work with here in verse 8, just so you know. I don't think it was a couple hours. I don't know if it was days or weeks or months. One guy that I read said that passing through Mysia would be like going through the backwoods of the Middle East. And I thought, three guys journeying through the backwoods of the Middle East, that's like a good movie. And who do we have? We've got Paul here. Paul would probably be played by like some old tough sage, like Sean Connery, that kind of guy. And, and Timothy's the young protege, so Ryan Gosling, you know, like he's a good, good smile, I bet. I bet he's a handsome dude, right? And then I'm like, but I don't know what to do with Silas as I was thinking about my movie here. And I, what about Ben Stiller? Wouldn't that add a dynamic in there? Wouldn't that be like a fun little character to put in there? And all the journeys and the adventures they have through the backwoods of the Middle East, seeking God's leading in their life, and all the other no's and difficulties and trusting God for meals. And who knows what happened in verse 8. But then verse 9, you get the yes. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, probably a dream. A man of Macedonia. And we don't know who this is. Some people think maybe it was Luke because we meet Luke in verse 10 when he changes from they to we. He's the author of this book. Some people think maybe it was Alexander the Great, the image of Macedonia at that time who wanted to rule the whole world and make one world together and bring the east together with the west. And, and it's going to happen different with Paul and the gospel, not with world domination through war. We don't know. But there's a guy standing there. He's urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Oftentimes when you hear a cry for help throughout the Bible, it's a cry for, come preach the gospel, come bring salvation. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we so he goes to his community. He doesn't just go and tell them what's going to happen. But we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding, underline that word, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That word concluding is an old Greek word that means, can be translated to bring together. And so you think about what is it concluding, the reasoning in their minds, they come to this conclusion, they had to make a decision, and here's what we see here. It still wasn't 100% clear to them. Now, what ends up happening here with Macedonia, by the way, that's northern Greece. It's the gateway into Europe. It's where refugees still come through today to get into Europe with a goal to get to America. 
My wife and I have actually gone to this area before and, and worked with some refugees. I remember meeting six or seven guys one time at a table, and they told us they had left Afghanistan. The story was like getting on a raft. There were 13 of them when they started. The others died on the way. Their hope was to get to America because they believed in America there would be pots of gold in the streets. I'm not kidding. They literally thought there were pots of gold on street corners. But what a strategic place. The gateway to Europe. And think about what God's got planned here. And if you read Acts chapter 16 and what happens in the rest of chapter 16, people getting saved. People being set free. Churches getting planted. God speaking to some of the most intelligent people of his day. Acts chapter 17. We've got more PhDs per capita than anywhere in the world here in Raleigh. Think about what happens through all this. God's got an amazing plan, but it was all these no's up to it. And even when it's time to make the decision, they're concluding, bringing together. What do they bring together? What we've experienced from God so far. What we know of the Bible. Our community. What do they say as they speak into this? But you still have to make a decision. You still have to step out by faith. And you don't know 100%. It's kind of like that Boston Marathon runner. You, you don't see every step, but you've got a guide who does. And so you step out with him. Imagine how exciting it must have been for them, though, after this no, and then another no, and then however long verse 8 was, to then finally get told, go. And let me share something with you as a church, and the reason why we took a break today, even from Hosea, to look at Acts chapter 16, is God's been doing some exciting stuff in the life of our church. And a lot of it's been behind the scenes, so we haven't been able to share it until this moment, and uh, I want to be able to share it with you now. And what God's been doing has been some amazing stuff, even bringing us to this place through some of his notes of getting us to this school. And if you remember, when we first got to the school, we started putting up the road signs to let people know that we were in the area now, that we were in the neighborhood. And if you didn't see the road signs, I don't know how you didn't see the road signs. They're everywhere. But one of the pastors down the street saw the road signs. His name is Lee Thomas. He's the senior pastor at Covenant Church just down the street. And he saw the signs. And just so you know, there's a dynamic sometimes with pastors where sometimes they're not excited if you bring their, your church right down the street from their church. It can get kind of territorial. And he had his assistant call our office and see if I could go to lunch with him. Now, I didn't know in that moment, is, am I going to go get rebuked? I guess I got to go take my medicine. It's like part of the deal. Or if it was going to go well. And let me tell you something. It went really well. I met with this pastor, and he said, you know, we're permanent a church here in this permanent facility, and, and they had gone through a split about three and a half years earlier, and so their facilities were being underutilized, and he said, if you ever need to use our church for anything, just let me know. Now, let me tell you something. If you want to make friends with a pastor of a mobile church, tell them that you can use their building. <laughs> it was exciting. We became friends right at that moment. It was for sure we were going to be friends. And, he, you know, there's been things that, you know, meetings or whatever or funerals or weddings that we've called over there before and oftentimes it hasn't worked out. But just the fact that they were making it available was exciting to us. And we found out we had some mutual friends. We were both involved in a network of pastors here locally. And so our friendship grew. And then fast forward to November of 2017. November of 2017, we're having lunch together again. We're talking about our churches. And their church, uh, they've got a facility that seats about 700 people and they've only got about 150 people in their church. And so we were talking about some of that and the decline that they've gone through. And then here we are, I'm sitting here on the other side of the table, and we're like, we got four million bucks in the bank, and we're looking for a permanent place. And so I'm like, I'm going for it. And I said, hey, would you ever, do you think you guys would ever sell your church to us? And his eyes got about as big as like saucers. Like they were huge, like moon. And I was like, oh no, did I step out of bounds? Is this in the pastor book that I didn't know about? Like the silence in that moment. <laughs> And then he said, I don't, I don't make those decisions. Uh, you'd have to reach out to our elders. And so I went back to our elders, told them about the lunch that we had. 
told them about the statements that I made <laughs> on our behalf. And, and some of them were like, hey, I don't even know if that's okay to do with the church. And so they started praying about it. And, and then they were like, well, we can't send them an offer letter because our guy, we have some really smart elders, just so you know. And they're like, we've got to be good stewards of the resources we have. We, we don't even know what that's worth. And so we sent a letter to them just inquiring whether they'd be even interested in selling us their building. And God was just working details out. We didn't know that they were planning on going into a season of prayer in the month of January, so we sent them a letter in December, and they told us we're going into a season of prayer in January, so were we. I don't know if you remember or not, but we did a prayer initiative. We were praying every you know, Tuesday morning from 7 to 9 a.m., and, and one of the things that we were praying about, we were praying about a lot of stuff, what God wanted to do in our individual lives, what God's doing corporately in this church, praying, God, do something. And I'll tell you the prayer that I had for our church regarding facility was, God, do something that's so clear that it's you. Then we stand up and tell it to the church. It's not like, oh, these guys got in a room together and they came up with this idea and now they're trying to make it look like God's doing it. It's just so obvious that it's you doing this. And so we're praying, they're praying. We didn't talk through the month of January. At the end of January, the chairman of their elders called me up. His name is Jock Murray. I didn't even know who he was when he first called me. And he said, hey, we got your letter. And when we got your letter, we thought our building's not for sale, but it's also not our building. And we believe the Lord's leading us to have a conversation with you. And so we scheduled a, a time for us all to get together, all of their elders, which was their senior pastor, four lay elders, and all of our elders and our leadership team. For those of you who don't know, our elder team is myself and John Cullen are both staff members here, both pastors here. And then we've got four lay elders, uh, Alan Falkrod, Dave Lenhart, J.D. Henserling, and Vern Kivett. And then we've got two guys that serve on our leadership team, which comes alongside the elders, functions a lot like elders, Matt Nyhoff and John Reeves. And so we all went, our eight guys, their five guys, and we met in this boardroom, and we were talking, and I had no idea what this was going to be like. So I've had a lot of experiences of us like looking for properties and doing all these kinds of things. I've never had something like this. I went into this room, and it was one of those times where you just sense God's presence. And the guys that were from their church, it was just interesting to see how humble they were and godly they were. And really what they wanted was just, what is God doing? What is God leading? And they wondered, you know, are we just you know, sending mass letters out to all the churches in the city to see if any of them will sell? We're like, no, that's not what we're doing. Or send a letter to you. And and our guys, you'd have been so proud of our guys and how humble they were in the whole process and the conversation. And so then this church is asking questions about our church, and we're asking questions about them, and we're getting to know each other. And then the way it ended was they said, we're, we're going to pray for two or three weeks, and then we'll contact you again. And so we left, and some of you know me. Um, I called the next day, and I said, so in two weeks, we're going to hear from you. <laughs> and they said, in three weeks. So I preached on waiting on the Lord. I'm still in progress here, okay? I'm still, I'm not always the most patient. I said, in three weeks, you'll hear back from us. We're doing our prayer initiative. One of the first God moments I had in this experience was up at our, our church office. We were doing one of those 7 a.m. Uh, prayer times, and apparently Christians think that God works better early in the morning, but whatever. We're there, and uh, we're praying, and I'm talking to the Lord. It's one of those moments, I don't know if you've had this, where it's like, is this me or is this God? Am I, trying, am I making these words up? Because, God, your voice sounds a lot like my voice right now. And I was praying, and I was like, God, if this is you, and it was well before the two-week time period. I can't remember exactly how many days, like six or ten days or something, but... So this is you. Have them contact us by noon today. And then I felt convicted. I was like, no, that's like a fleece. You're not supposed to do that, are you? And so we're like wrestling. And then I was like, I'm not sure if I, I don't want to put too much time pressure on you. How about lunchtime tomorrow, God? That'd be great. And I go back to my office and four minutes earlier, I had gotten an email from the chairman of their elders that said, we got an idea. We'd love to run by you. Can you meet in March? And I was like, March? I can talk right now. Like, what, you want to call me? I wrote, I said, you can call me anytime. And he's like, let's meet in March. So God's timing. And in March, we came back together, our elder team and their elder team. And in the meantime, some of our guys had, had come to me and said, why, why are we asking them to sell us the property? 
their churches and their situation they're in, an underutilized facility, why don't they just join us and give us their building? And so a handful of our guys were praying that, so I started praying that. We go to this meeting. It was amazing because it wasn't anymore just like, hey, we're getting to know you and you're getting to know us. It was like these brothers, these friends coming back together. And to hear some of our guys asking their guys personal questions about other stuff they learned about each other, it was great, just like what Christianity should look like coming together. Two minutes into the meeting, the chairman of their elders, Chuck Murray, says, guys, when we met the first time, we didn't feel led to sell you our building. He said, we still don't feel led to sell you our building. I was like, oh, man, what do you do? Why are we here? And he says, but what do you think about us joining you? And then we give you our campus. And it was one of those moments where it's like, I prayed about that, but you're actually doing it. Amen. And it was one of those God moments where at that place, you realize this is something only God could do. Amen. And it's beyond, yeah, you can give the Lord a hand on that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And it's beyond what we would have dreamt up and, and thought, you know, here's the plan, and you're going to say no, and you're going to say no, but you're going to get us this other spot, and you're going to use the no's to get us to your yes. And we wouldn't have dreamt any of that up. We don't get the whole plan at the beginning. But sitting there in that moment, it was one of those times, you don't get them every day in your journey with Jesus, where it's like, this is a God moment. And we just stared at the chairman of the elders, by the way. Like, all of our, none of our guys looked at each other. It was just like staring at him. Like, did you just say that, and mouths open, and all that kind of stuff? And so you can imagine what it was like to be him, sitting there looking at us, like, what are they thinking right now? And he's like, you know, I know you're probably going to have to pray about this. I think I may have said in that moment, I, I know I felt it. I don't have to, we've already prayed about this. Like, it's already, we already prayed about this. And uh, some of our guys needed to pray about these things. But um, then he said, hey, there's three things that are really important to us as a church, though. And uh, one of them is that uh, you integrate our members into your body. And so we want them to be assimilated into the Southbridge Church community, and we become one church together. And uh, the other is that we've got these missionaries that are around the world, and so we want you to take care of our missionaries. They've got six different missionaries all over the place um, sharing the gospel. And the other one is that we've got these three staff members, and they're all full-time staff members, and, and would you take care of them through this process? And if there's a spot on your team, that's great. If not, would you take care of them financially through this process? And and we obviously, you know, talked some more. And one of their elders started to share some of their story. And it was at that moment that it started to become obvious to us all that God's been weaving these stories together for a long time before we even started talking back in November and December about these things. And he started to share that 11 and a half years ago, they had 700 people in their church. And you know how many people we had attend last week at our church? Exactly 700, just so you know. And then three and a half years ago, they go through this church split and then they, their pastor, Pastor Lee, that I've become friends with, comes as their pastor. And you start to see how he's actually been leading them through the transition to be ready for something like this for these last three and a half years. He goes to the same seminary, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary now that I went to uh, when I graduated from seminary. And so he's brought us to a place where there's a lot of similarities in the two churches. And they are primed for these things. They've always dreamt that their church, that campus, would be a city on a hill. What's our vision, Southbridge? If you've been here for more than one week, hopefully you know that. And uh, we want to be a church that has an impact in this city and makes a big deal about Jesus Christ and doesn't just exist to fill up a place, but has an impact that lasts for eternity and lives that get touched. And we've been looking for this place, and then God leads us to a spot. We got $4 million in the bank, and then one of their requests was, they didn't tell us we had to do this, but they said, we owe about $800,000 on this multi-million dollar facility. We'd love it if you pay it off. And so we're going to be able to go into that thing debt-free. It's exciting. And so I want to show you a picture of our new church, by the way, just so you know. 
little map, if you're, if you're not familiar with it, it's uh, about 1.1 miles down the street. Kind of funky how it takes us out of there. It's just a Google Maps thing. You can actually go up to the, the corner with all the drugstores. I was joking with my wife yesterday. I said, if I was driving up to this corner, I would never say, you know what we need? We need more drugstores. But if you pull up to that corner right there and just go straight down Strickland past Dunkin' Donuts, on your right, 1.1 miles, is Covenant Church's campus. Now we'll refer to it from now on as the Strickland Road campus. And there's a picture of the outside of their worship center. It seats a little bit over 700 people. And a picture inside of our new church. There it is. And so, for sure. Yes. Truly one of those just God moments. We ask him to do something beyond what we would ask him, and he does it, and it's like, are you really doing this? This is amazing. And uh, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened between that March meeting and now, and so I know you probably have a lot of questions. Let me just tell you some of the things that have happened. One of the things that took place is they, between the time we met in February and March, they had read a book called Better Together, and the author we had a mutual contact with, and so we called the author to come and talk to us about churches joining together like this, and he said, not only do you have those three issues that, that they brought up with the missionaries and the staff and uh, the, just, the, just different pieces of that, integrating the members, but there's about 22 other big issues you've got to work through. And so what we did is we, we created what we called a, a feasibility team. It was even work before we'd bring it to the church. And the feasibility team was two of their elders and then two of our guys, one of our elders, Vern Kivett, and one of the guys from our leadership team, Matt Nyhoff. And then the team was led by our executive pastor, John Cullen. And it meant a lot of late-night meetings and a lot of conversations through doctrine, through chem, you know, culture and programs and all kinds of finances, all those types of things. And let me just say this. Those guys put in a lot of hours. And so if you see them out in the lobby today, thank them. All of our elders have, but those guys especially had put in a lot of Yeah, give them a hand for sure. And let me say this. He's, he's not in here right now, but um, John Cullen is our executive pastor. Rarely do you see him on stage. But let me say this. Our church would not be what it is if it wasn't for John Cullen. Just so you know, okay? You can give the, Lord, give the Lord a hand for John Cullen. And uh, these folks have worked through these, those, those 25 different issues, and some of those things are going to be mentioned on the FAQs you're going to receive when you leave here today. They're frequently asked questions. There's some questions we think that you'll naturally have. Uh, but just to bring you through some of the story, uh, what happened was we've gone over there. I shared basically like Discovering Southbridge with them where I told them the story of our church and our vision, and that was all their staff. It was their current elders. It was elders that they've had in the past because their church has been around for a long time that are still members of their church. They came to that. And then last Saturday, they videotaped it. It was a monumental moment for them uh, where their elders, past and present, voted unanimously that they desired to, to join our church to become Southbridge Fellowship. And so that happened on Saturday. And then last Sunday, after services were done here, everybody was kind of leaving this place. We met together up at the front offices of the school, and I'll never forget this moment. We were praying. Vern Kivett, one of our elders, started to pray. He said, God, who knew 12 years ago that we'd be sitting here at this middle school making a decision like this? And I thought in that moment, if I had been shown the plans 12 years ago and it said, you're going to be sitting in a middle school, I'd have been like, middle school? Why are we sitting in a middle school? Like, how did that even happen? And God uses his nose to get us to his yes. And then we've got to step out by faith. And we prayed, and then our elders voted unanimously as well to have them join us as a church. And so what's going to happen is they're going to continue to meet. They're telling their church right now, and so you can be praying for them. But they're going to continue to meet as Covenant Church until June 3rd. June 3rd is going to be their last service together. And then after June 3rd, there's not going to be a Covenant Church anymore. On June 10th, they're going to come here and join us and become part of Southbridge Fellowship. I'm still going to be the lead pastor. On June 10th, they'll be here, and then we'll meet together at the school 
throughout the summer months. And then, Lord willing, our plan is we're going to do some minor renovations to that campus on Strickland Road. And then we'll move into our new campus, Lord willing, at the end of August. And so that's the plan for that, for sure. And so what do you do? What do you do with this? Well, first of all, today you can just celebrate. Uh, we're going to have a, a meeting next Sunday after church on the 29th, and you'll be able to ask questions and be able to talk and pray and do those things together as a church family. But just as this week goes by, here's what I want you to do. Pray. Pray first of all. Pray for unity. Uh, Satan hates this, by the way. This is the opposite of what Satan wants division. God wants unity, if you read the Bible, and God's a lot more concerned with it than we are even. And so last, a couple weeks ago, I was doing Discovering Southbridge here after one of our Sunday services like we regularly do, and I was talking to a guy, and he had been through a church split, and I couldn't tell him this information, but I was like, if you stick around, you're about to go through the opposite of that. It's going to be amazing. And uh, Satan hates that, and so he wants to destroy that. And it doesn't just mean like bickering amongst one another, just so you know. It's going to attack marriages. He's going to bring more temptation in some of our lives than it's ever happened before. And so will you be praying, praying for each other, praying for yourselves, pray for the people of Covenant Church. They're hearing, some of them are hearing this news right now in this moment from their leaders. And so pray for them. And pray that they would see the Lord's leading in this. Pray that they would see God's fingerprints on this. Pray for them. They're going to, some of them are going to be experiencing some loss with some of the things that have happened. So pray for them in that. And they don't know who we are. For all they know, we're really weird. And they're right. But Jesus loves us, right? And so and when they come over here, be praying for us. Pray that we lovingly and graciously receive them as a church body. And so you just keep, you, I always get compliments on how friendly our church is, how loving you are, and, and caring for people. And a lot of people come to church, just so you know, and they're thinking, all these people are judging me. None of these people have experienced what I've experienced. And so when you're real and you're friendly and you're kind, that brings down so many barriers. But here's what I don't want you to do. Don't go up to every new person you see from now until then and go, are you from Covenant? <laughs> for one, some of them may have been attending our church for years. For two... There's going to be other people that still visit our church. And so just be kind. And, just, and periodically you can ask people, hey, how long have you been coming? And they say they, they're coming over from that church and just welcome them. Be kind. Tell them why you love our church. We're going to celebrate together like we've been doing today. We're going to do that in just a moment. We're team. You guys can still go ahead and start coming on up here. And then also, some of you all have been kind of watching our church. You're kind of like more of a consumer. You're not really involved. You're not in a small group. You're not serving anywhere. You're not a member. Get on board. This is a great time to get on board. There's going to come a day where you're going to want to tell your kids, God did this amazing move in Raleigh, and I was part of it. Not I watched it, I was part of it. And so wherever you're not involved, get involved. You need to get involved in relationships, get more involved in relationships. You need to get, get, become a member. Like I said, we're doing Discover Southbridge, come to it. You've been coming to our church for five years. You're not a member. Come on. We would love to have you be a part of it. So let me tell you something. I don't know the details of all the steps that are going to take place. Kind of like that runner. We got a guide, though, God. He's the one who's led us to this spot. We wouldn't have planned this out. It's going to be fun. And you're invited. So let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we get to watch you do stuff. Sometimes I feel like, I don't even surf. Sometimes I just feel like I'm on this wave and you're, you're, you're doing something. And uh, God, I pray that we get involved with what you're doing. And join you in the, in the work. And make a big deal about your name. And that your fame would spread through this city. I pray you might bring some, use something like this to bring revival in Raleigh. I pray that lost people would look at this and go, that's different. Two churches, not even the same brand of churches. And that you'd bring them together, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, waving the banner of Jesus Christ, so that your name would be glorified and that you would be known, that you would be made famous. Father God, I pray you do that. 
I pray in the days ahead. I pray for protection of our body. I pray for the people at Covenant Church that are hearing these words right now. God, I pray that you would have prepared their hearts for this moment, and they would come, and they'd go, yes, that is right. That's the next step. And just like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and concluded. I'm going to step out by faith. This is the thing. This is the thing. We're going to step in. And what you did in Acts after that, where you started other churches and where you, you, you set people free and you saved people. You saved religious people. You saved people that were not religious. God, I pray you do that in our church. And I pray as these two bodies become one that you do more than you'd ever do with us on our own. And God, I, I pray for your hand to be all over our lives. I pray if there's any individual in this room that doesn't know you that they would even come to know you on a day like today. And I pray, God, for, for hearts, that some people wonder, are you active? Are you, are you caring about what's happening today? And in their individual lives, they're wondering that, and they see what you've done here corporately and that you'd strengthen their faith. And God, I pray you'd challenge people to pray more specifically. I pray that you'd have, have us just be in awe and wonder of what you've done, not just through a building and through two churches, and, but through the cross of your son, Jesus Christ, that you've provided a way a way that we can know you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.